We're going to talk the biggest question marks facing the Oklahoma Sooners heading into 2022, including which is the team that's going to give them the biggest fits this year. We got Chisholm Holland from 1077, the franchise in Oklahoma City, joining us on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, Sooners Nation? Thank you for joining me and welcome to Locked On Sooners. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Sooners. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, also available on YouTube as well. And joining us today, filling in for Josh, who's on a bit of a vacation, is Chisholm Holland from 1077, the franchise in Oklahoma City. Here to talk questions facing the Oklahoma Sooners and the team that we got to worry about the most heading into 2022. Chisholm, thanks for joining the show. Glad to have you, man. Man, thank you. I appreciate it. Now, now, Helmer does a good job, so I don't know if I'm going to quite be able to stick up for that, but I'll try to add like a few more puns or something. Add something yeah. different. There you go. We need more puns because I've yeah. learned like, a lot of wrestling references that Josh okay. doesn't always get. Uh, so, yeah, throw, throw some puns out there. 90s video games are usually like my sweet spot. I can make a lot of those jokes. We can do all there that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, speak, okay, so speaking of 90s video games, what was like your favorite, your go-to on a Friday night, you needed to play a video game. What were you going to play? Sure. So, like, as a kid, I grew up, like, in the Pokemon area, like, right when that started, like, the originals. So, like, small child. And then when I got older, uh, Halo was, like, the thing in high school. And so me and my buddies would crank out Halo, obviously, with NCAA football. Those were, like, the two big ones. Yeah, yeah. I think Halo 3 was legit. That was probably for, like, I'm in grad school, a little bit after yeah. that. But in high school, it was all, all about Super Smash Brothers. And then my brothers and I would play WrestleMania 2000 on the, on the <laughs> Nintendo 64. Yeah. So that was always yeah, legit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's talk, man. Spring ball's over. Summer is underway. We're still three months out from the start of the regular season. And everybody's feeling pretty positive about the Oklahoma Sooners. You look in most <laughs> publications, and they're the favorite. I mean, they're the betting favorite um, per bet online. They've got one of the highest win total projections, according to betonline.net, one of our sponsors here on the show. So there's got to be some questions, though, right? This is not a perfect team. They had a ton of turnover. So when you're looking at this roster heading into the summer, getting ready for fall, what's one of the biggest question marks facing the Oklahoma Sooners, according to you? Yeah, so I mean, I think the positivity is totally warranted, right? Like, I get the excitement of Brent Venables, a guy who the fan base is uh, familiar with coming back. Um, and then some like the things that were like pillars of this program that just frankly went away these past five years, uh, seeming to make a return. So I think the excitement's warranted. Now, to your point, like if you actually look at the team, tons of talent, right? Tons of names that we like, but also just teams that we're not totally proven of. Like we don't know exactly what's going to happen with them as far as at certain positions. And so when I think about like biggest question marks for this, for this team, I think a, the offensive line, um, like Matower coming in as a transfer, played a lot of football in the Pac-12. Uh, you assume he's going to make the transition to the Big 12, but Wanya Morris, a guy out of Tennessee who was super hyped up. I mean, like you would have thought that they had just gotten Trent Williams all over again whenever he made that announcement. They can't get on the field, right? Like when they had to go to the bench, they went to Eric Swenson before they went to him. Um, and so he was a really disappointing last year and now coming into the right tackle starting job and seems like everything's going well there. Um, 
And then for me, the thing that I'm most excited to see is the safety position because we saw zero rotation there at all last year. And I disagreed with it, but the reasoning of it was I want two guys. This is a Grinch logic. I want two guys who I can trust who aren't going to make mistakes. So maybe the ceiling is, isn't as high, but the floor is very, very high. Like that was the Pat Fields, Delaire and Turner yell. I mean, era of OU football was uh, I'm not going to make mistakes, but I might not make plays. Well, now you're bringing back Key Lawrence uh, to play safety. One of the most explosive guys we've had in the secondary had some blown coverages, which Grinch loved to point out about key had some blown coverages, but every time he's out there forced fumbles, got interceptions, had one of the highest turnover rates per play in the country. Uh, And then you have a guy like Billy Bowman, who was a receiver in high school, flipped to the other side of the ball, played three positions last year, got benched the second half of the season, and now is playing a fourth position that he did not play at all last season, and now is going to be a starter starter on the back end. Like, all of that, you could put a positive spin on. Giant question marks, though. Like, all of that could blow up in their face, and all of that could be giant uh, issues that, that sneak up on them over the course of the season. So, excitement, yes, but like real serious things that we need to like talk about and, and highlight these first four or five weeks of the season. I think you have to. Yeah. I think Key Lawrence moving into a starting role, getting full-time snaps is going to be huge for this team. As you mentioned, it's a guy that made a lot of plays and he brought an energy, you know, like his mm-hmm. physicality was a very welcomed presence in the second half of the season, even though they, you know, they lost their only two games in the second half. He just, I feel like he did a lot of what kind of like Ronnie Perkins did the year before just brought a different edge and toughness Yes, you're going to have some blown coverages sometimes with guys that play as aggressive as he does. At the same time, you also bounced him back from cornerback to safety to playing a little nickel to playing mm-hmm. some small linebacker. Like he rotated around too and wasn't able to get fully comfortable. Now you line him up as a box safety and just allow him to play one position. And I think that's going to really benefit a guy who plays fast. You take away some of the the road, you know, moving around on the defense. And he can settle into one spot. And I think that's going to really benefit him a lot. You mentioned Billy Bowman. The dude got thrown into the fire. And of course, things didn't go great. This is like the meanest thing a coaching staff has ever done to a true freshman. Right. This is Playing outside corner, struggles, never sees the field again. Like, what did you expect? Exactly. And and this is a guy that came in as a two-way player. And he wasn't fully dedicated as a defensive back in high school either. He was playing a lot of wide receiver. And so, of course, he was going to have some issues. And, but I, I really like what, what Brent Venables did with him and said, hey, no, we're making him a safety and we're sticking him at safety. And for better or worse, he's a safety. And, I, yeah. and you want that for a young guy before you start moving him around and asking him to do too much. You want him to get comfortable at least with one position. Tawanya Morris, I mean, my, my former co-host and I, David Walker, last year when Wanya Morris transferred in, we're talking about, we're projecting the offensive line. And I remember David and I talking about this saying, we're going to spend a lot of, if Wanya Morris isn't one of the starting offensive linemen for this team, <laughs> we're spending a lot of time talking about Wanya Morris. And yeah. sure enough, it, it just didn't work out. Now you had Anton Harrison emerge, you know, you had some, some different pieces that moved around on the offensive line that you could use. But yeah, it's good to see that he's progressing and actually going to be able to step into a role this year because that's a piece that you expected to be a big time producer for you last year that wasn't. And maybe and and it was kind of weird with all the Tennessee guys, right? Like Eric Gray oh, yeah. had a ton of hype in the spring last year. Saw a lot of a lot of touches in the first 3-4 games of the season and then again, you know, much like Billy Bowman almost was like forgotten the rest of the year. 
Key Lawrence, you know, was strong at times, but also forgotten at times. He only played the 10th most snaps on the defense. And so just a really weird year all the way around for those three guys that transferred in. But I think you're right. I think the optimism is warranted. Uh, but I do think that, yeah, we still have some things I think it's to more of a culture out. optimism as opposed to a roster optimism, right? Like, that's the way I've always tried to phrase it. Like, do you like preventables more than Lincoln Riley? Yeah, sure, fine. Yeah. Like, I'm on, I'm on board with that. But, like, did Lincoln Riley leave a bunch of holes when he left? Yes. Was was the team uh, degrading? Like, the recruiting was better, but the team was worse. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but in my eyes, like, every year Lincoln was there, the recruiting was better, but the team was performing worse. And so, like, Brent Venables is having to address that. And it's not that's not an overnight fix, especially with the way that he has decided to attack the transfer portal. Yeah, and I think the thing that is kind of working in Oklahoma's favor this year is that pretty much every team has questions in the Big 12. You look at the top of the conference, and Oklahoma State lost their defensive coordinator, the guy that mm-hmm. really was the architect of that Jim team. Knowles, yeah. Jim Knowles going to Ohio State. Yes, they brought in a really you know, talented defensive coordinator in Derek Mason, but – you lost Malcolm Rodriguez as, as well. So you lost the two leaders on your defense. That's not simp- too easy to replace. And you look at Baylor. They lost a lot of key pieces on both sides of the ball. Jalen Petrie, Terrell Bernard, Abram Smith, Tristan Ebner. They made a switch at quarterback. They lost Tyquan Thornton. Texas, their defense was terrible last year. Are they going to be good enough for that offense to actually you know, work out? Is this going to look a lot like the the Oklahoma teams that were having to win 52 to 49 in order to win games? I mean, we think Quinn Ewers is going to be good, but we don't know that. And so I think that's working in Oklahoma's favor a little bit. Yes, oh, yeah. they had a ton of turnover as well, but I think they've got enough stability at the most important pieces. I mean, you're looking at your offensive line. If, if you have one question mark on your offensive line, you're doing pretty good. Sure. You know, if you're, yes, you got a lot, you lost a lot of guys on defense, especially on the defensive line. But you have a lot of guys that people are really excited about. They have a lot of promise. And and we got to see that against Oregon. And we got to see it in the spring game that these guys, especially off the edge, they're going to bring the heat. And I, I think that's really promising. And so while, yes, there are a lot of questions, there's a lot of teams in the Big 12 that have question marks too. And we're going to get to that after the break. We're going to talk about which team Chisholm thinks is going to be the team to uh, most give Oklahoma difficulty. But first, I want to talk to you about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. And they've recently come out with Built Granola Bars. If you haven't tried these, I highly recommend them. Like, I've been telling you about Built Bar for a couple years now. I've been eating it myself. But as soon as these granola bars came out, I ordered two boxes of them, got the chocolate peanut butter, got the chocolate coconut, and they're fantastic. Highly recommend. My wife loves them as well. The kids, they eat them up. I got to hide them because the kids are after them all the time. And so I really recommend go to built.com. Use promo code LOCK15. Get 15% off your next order at built.com. You can get 150 calories, 15 grams of protein, and only 4 grams of sugar with built granola bars. And me, myself, I love granola. Like I'm that kind of guy. I'll eat it for cereal, for breakfast. I'll have it as a snack. And so this just hits home for me every single time. So go to built.com. Use promo code lock 15 Get 15% off your next order at built.com. And so we're here with Chisholm Holland, 1077 The Franchise. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Chisholm Holland as well. And you can hear him three to six Monday through Friday with Ryan Chapman. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Me me and Chapman getting after it. Yeah. Yeah. So Ryan Chapman of OU Insider. So not OU Insider. SI Sooners. That's right. SI Sooners. All Sooners. Yeah. I I try to keep 
track of everybody because everybody <laughs> you didn't move around too much. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, everybody does such great work. You know, there's yeah. so many great, you know, writers and, and podcasters and, and radio people in Sooners Nation. We're truly blessed like to have yeah. such great coverage across the board. And, and so, yeah, Ryan, he does a fantastic job. Make sure I, always you tell, out. I always tell guys like Hoover and, uh, you know, uh, you know, Ryan and all those guys who work on those websites, like you guys are allowed to, aren't allowed to complain about the transfer portal. Everyone else can complain. Everybody else sticks with what their job is for a while. You website people move around so much. I can never keep it straight. Bob's <laughs> bills work for five different publications. Like you just can't do it. So you guys are not allowed to say anything. Well, hey, I've, I've only been at Sooners Wire and yeah. Locked On Sooners. So we're, we're going to stick hey, you're stable. We're, yeah. we're program guys here on Locked On Sooners. <laughs> Coming up on our two-year anniversary here on the podcast, one-year anniversary with Sooners Wire. So, all right, Chisholm, we just talked about each team in the Big 12, especially at the top, has a question mark. Sure. But who's the team that you're looking at that you think is going to give Oklahoma the biggest fits in 2022? Yeah, so um, it's tough. The Big 12 is a little bit of a wild card for me this year. Uh, like last year coming into it, I felt so great about Oklahoma State uh, because of the returning production, the names that we knew, uh, the, the expectation the defense was going to take a step forward after being really good the year before. Uh, and I feel like that was like an obvious like layup prediction. Uh, Dave Aranda turning that thing over, around overnight. I thought they were going to be better. Never in my wildest dreams would I pick them to win the Big 12. And so I think that's a little thing that you have to look at. And so whenever I'm coming into this, obviously I do the same offseason work that everybody else does of trying to pre- preview of who I think is going to be pretty good. And so what do you do? You default to the teams who are good last year. And so I was, I've been wrestling with Baylor all offseason about what I think they're going to be. Well, Bill Conley did us a favor and last week came out with his returning production numbers from ESPN.com. And if 131 teams, Baylor's 122nd in the country, right? So they have the 10th least production coming back. Below them is West Virginia and Iowa State, who has the third least production coming back. Obviously, they had that huge graduating class that carried Mm -hmm. so much weight for them. Oklahoma State, who I thought was bringing back a lot of guys, like big names gone, but uh, depth was there, right? Guys who played a bunch of snaps plus Trace Ford coming back from injury. 107th, right? Like bottom 30. Oklahoma is actually second in the, or sorry, third in the Big 12 at 58, which is right in the middle of the country. Mm-hmm. So they, they've got a huge advantage, as crazy as it is to sound, with all the turnover they've had. They've got more continuity than basically anyone in the Big 12 outside of Kansas, barely counts, and TCU. And TCU was awful last year. So, like, of course they have a lot of guys coming back. They were bad. They played a lot of bad or bad young players, which is fine for growth and development. So I get first off, I guess it comes down to what you think about the TCU hire, uh, because you could probably put some of the same logic uh, that was used with Baylor last year with TCU, which is they were a young team. They struggled. They've recruited. Okay. So like these, these aren't Kansas level players. These are middle of the road college football players who took their lumps last year. And maybe they take a jump. Maybe Chandler Morris is the, I don't know, fourth best quarterback in the big 12. That'd be huge for them. Uh, so you could try to do that with TCU. I'm not sold on the coaching hire, so that's not going to be me. So then you're really kind of like projecting forward. I don't believe in Texas. Um, I, I think the Quinn Ewers thing is interesting, but the offensive line, I just frankly think, is going to be awful. Like just awful. As bad as OU fans have complained about the offensive line the past two years, I mean, I, this is going to be so much worse. They might start three true freshmen on the offensive line at Austin. In Austin, three true freshmen. That's insane. Yeah. So like I'm just – I refuse to go there. So I, I, I just defaulted back to Baylor. And that's just a Dave Aranda belief, um, despite the fact that they're putting in Blake Shapin, who looked like Joe Montana for a half against Oklahoma State. So I think that's probably not who he's going to be. But if he is, 
chalk him up for a national championship. But Dave Aranda is a smart guy, and so I think he's going to be able to figure some things out. Uh, I think they've recruited middle 30s for the past four years, and he's just going to be able to kind of you know, jump on top of that. And he's got momentum, which I think is a really important thing in college football, especially for a small program like, like Baylor. So I think their offense is going to be a little bit better. Their defense might be a little bit worse, so maybe it's a wash. The only other team I entertained is like a sneaky who could give Oklahoma trouble who we're not talking about, right? Because everyone's going to say Baylor, Oklahoma State, Texas. Like those are the layups. So what do you think about this one, John? West Virginia, who's bringing back 127th best, uh, you know, most production in the country, which is low, but they're bringing the most production in the Big 12 out of the transfer portal. Uh-huh. So they're bringing the most known commodities. They have JT Daniels, obviously Graham Harrell. Like I thought their defense was fine last year. God knows they ran 45 slant routes against Oklahoma down in Norman and just carved up <laughs> Alex Grinch's defense by running the same play over and over and over. Uh, so I, I'm sure their offense is going to be a little bit more creative this upcoming season. I like Neil Brown. I know I'm on that island. I think the, the West Virginia situation is bad, but Neil Brown is a good coach. Um, so just as a team that could be hovering around seven, eight, nine wins that people don't see coming, I, I like the West Virginia spot. Because they, they, I don't know if you've looked at their schedule. It lines out pretty well. Like They have a pretty favorable schedule of like when these difficult games fall for them. It's it's funny you mentioned West Virginia. That's the team I've been kind of pounding the table as a dark horse okay. for uh, for for the last couple of months here on the show because, and, and some of this was even before JT Daniels. I just like their defensive front. Now this is also before I realized that Akeem Mesidor transferred to Miami. But you still mm-hmm. got Dante Stills. Like that dude's a dude. Like he's going to be a top one hundred, top fifty draft pick when he finally declares. I thought he was going to declare this last year, but I think even in the twenty twenty three NFL draft, the guy's going to be a top fifty pick. He's just that good of a player. And yeah, the JT Daniels thing, it, it it helps raise their profile and it makes them a much, much better team. And, and I, I'm interested in West Virginia. I think they're going to have some really tough games, but they're going to pull out some of those as well. You know, they, they played okay at times. I mean, they held Oklahoma to 13 points last year yeah. with an offense that was pretty good for the most part, even though it had its inconsistencies. I mean, it was really good at times and they held Oklahoma to 13 points. And so I would not put it past them to give some of the teams like a Texas um, you know, whoever they have at home in Morgantown, that's going to be a tough game for whoever's visiting. It, it always is. And I, I'm, I would not be surprised to see them jump up and make a, make a push for the big 12 championship. I, I kind of, I think on Texas's front, yeah, the, the offensive line issue is, is questionable. The defense to me is, is as big of an issue if not, because I don't know if they can make a, a significant enough jump from last year when they were one of the worst in the country to make it equitable for Quinn Ewers. Like you don't want to put all like all your eggs in the Quinn Ewers basket. You got to hope that your defense makes the jump to top 60, top 50, at least like that's a minimum. And, and I think Oklahoma has got to make the same jump, but I feel like there's a lot of confidence because of Brent Venables. Like you don't expect Oklahoma's defense to be worse than it was last year. You expect it to be better despite all the guys they lost on defense. Yeah. And so, yeah, West Virginia, that's a very, very intriguing team. Back the to Texas your point. defense thing, though, I just quickly, yeah. I have, I've talked about that. I, I interview people all, all the time. And I don't know who's sending the money. I don't know what briefcases they're from. But Pete Kwiatkowski, the defensive coordinator of Texas, is sending it to all the media members. And somehow I got missed. I didn't get the money. But, like, people talk about that guy. Like, he, it's like, hey, no, 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 look, it was year one. Kwiatkowski's going to be able to figure this out. Uh, he's a really smart guy. And so, that's just me taking football people at their word. Like yeah. there's a lot of people who are a lot smarter than I am. And there's a lot of belief that he's going to be able to turn that thing around. To your point though, 
frankly, I didn't see it last year. Like yeah. it, it, there's some big creative defensive coordinator in there. Who's going to be able to scheme up an awesome defense that's struggling in the talent department, which frankly Texas is, it didn't show itself last year. And so like, if he's, if he's that smart, that's fine. Then why did Kansas put up 40? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there, there's gotta be a little bit more terrific too. So I, I agree with you, man. I, there's a, there's an undercurrent of like Texas defense is going to be better because of the coordinator. Maybe that's true. He, he just didn't prove it last year. Well, and this was also the same unit that had that big locker room blow up, like where they leaked the, the audio recording oh, yeah. of the, the Texas defensive line coach. I mean, that you're, you're talking about a lot of the same, the same situation I mean, that's going on. Three there. weeks like, ago, they had a player call out like, Hey, we've got all these freshmen hanging out on sixth street, you know, partying instead of working hard. And they banned that player from talking yes. to the media. Right. Like, this he's, does not sound like a healthy place. I'm sorry. It just does not. Right. He's not your problem. The guy talking yeah. and, and trying to call out his team for not taking it seriously enough. He's not your problem. Most people call that leadership. and no, Steve Sarkeesian. He calls it a distraction. Yeah, exactly. I want to make a point about uh, Dave Aranda and the Baylor, you know, the Baylor Bears a little bit. So I went back to, you know, look at Ole Miss versus LSU uh, the last you know, couple years when Jeff Levy was the offensive coordinator. I believe they, they kind of crossed paths in 2019. Um, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, in that year, LSU won, but of course LSU beat everybody that year because they mm-hmm. had the greatest offense of all time. But Jeff Levy did put 37 points up on the board. So there's there's that. Like, I don't know if, like Dave Aranda's great, but we saw Jeff Levy's offense succeed in the SEC. I think he's going to be able to do the same in the Big 12, um, even if it's it's a different conference, different players, different scheme that he's going to be going up against week to week. Jeff Levy's had success as an offensive coordinator everywhere he's gone. It's going to be good for Oklahoma to get a bit of a fresh perspective on offense as they head into Big 12 play because, I mean, it's fair to say, like, teams knew what Lincoln Riley wanted to run. And now there's a whole new different identity for this Oklahoma Sooners offense heading into the 2022 season. Uh, anything, anybody else you want to talk about that you want to mention on that before we you know, break and then kind of talk about our next couple topics? Oh, if you if you listen to me on the air, you know my addiction's Kansas State. I just can't quit them. I yeah. can't quit Manhattan. It's maybe it's because I've been there twice and I've just had a blast. Like Manhattan's an awesome place to go watch a football game in. The, the stadium is in a hole. Like it's so Kansas State. Like it's just, it just it meets every stereotype you could imagine. The kids, I don't, have you been to a game in Manhattan? No, dude. The the student section where they tailgate before the game, they call it the mud pit, and I mean, it's a mud pit. Like they like intentionally don't go grass there. They they like they put the sprinklers on. They make it a mud pit before the game, and that's where all the stu- it's it's perfect. Like it is a perfect atmosphere. So I'm in love with Kansas State. But Coach Klein is a guy who I think is pretty smart. He got a pretty tough rap at the end of the year last year. Uh, but the biggest thing for them is their defense was good enough. Their offensive skill position, like they've got players who Oklahoma would like to have on their roster. Like they have good players. They just can't stay healthy at quarterback. Yeah, they can't. And now they've gotten a guy, Nicholas Martinez, who I uh, Adrian Adrian Martinez. Sorry, yeah, good point. Adrian Martinez going into the Nebraska game, I did the whole everyone knows his name, but he is an overrated quarterback, which I still believe. But here's the one thing that Adrian Martinez is bringing, who that Kansas State has not had. He doesn't miss games, right? You know, he plays, and like that would that is such a breath of fresh air for for Kleiman, who can't find a way to not play. Howard, who not a good, and he played a majority of their snaps last year uh, for the second year in a row with Skylar Thompson missing time. So uh, Kansas State's a team who I just always like. Their schedule also, I think, is is broke pretty well for them as far as like when do they play Texas, when do they play Oklahoma State, when do they play OU, when's their bye week fall. I think all that kind of 
went favorable. So it's just picking one of those teams, right? Those four through eight Big 12 teams. Who wins the games against the other four through eight Big 12 teams? Because mm-hmm. that's going to be probably your third best team in the conference, more than likely. Right. Who, who is that? And so that's a hard thing to guess. My my, my gut says it's it's going to be Kansas State or West Virginia. I just don't know which one, but I'm always I'm always a little tinted by the Wildcats. I don't know what it is. Well, Chris Kleiman, he's had a lot of success, and he's had success against OU. He seems to get the most out of his teams, and so there's a, there's a lot of promise there. I, and then, I mean, they had the best pass rusher, individual pass yeah. rusher, in the conference, which sure. is, you know, don't sleep on that. Deuce Vaughn's explosive and all the stuff. Yeah, they've got a lot of talent there, that's for sure. If Adrian Martinez can keep the ball from going to the other team, if you can take yeah. care of the football, then they'll be pretty good, I think. Yeah. So we've got a couple more topics we want to touch on here with Chisholm before we go. Uh, so Chisholm, let's talk one thing that you guys talked about on the radio on 107.7 The Franchise in Oklahoma City with Ryan Chapman. The out-of-conference games that you want to make happen for Oklahoma when they move to the SEC. Yeah. So, I mean, the obvious one, I think, for a lot of Oklahoma fans, and, and for me in particular, is Oklahoma State. But sure. what were some of your suggestions? Yeah, so if you're unfamiliar, the next 10 years uh, – sorry, after 2023, um, because that's when everyone assumes they're going to make the jump, but that's a little fuzzy, right? But basically 2024 on, those next 10 years, they have five games scheduled against SEC opponents. Well, they're not going to play Alabama in the non-con and then you know, turn around and play an, an SEC schedule. So those are going to get moved. So Oklahoma is going to have to do this crazy thing that electors hate doing, which is finding non-conference games three years in advance. Cause you know, we got to schedule these things out 15 years. That's right. Uh, it drives me crazy. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it's a big, it's a big thing. And so we got a lot of like the big 12 schools, right? Like some of those rivalries, people want to see Baylor. People want to see Oklahoma state, the bad blood with the Oklahoma state thing. I, I so we, we talked about this today, right? And we got a lot of Oklahoma state got to keep Bedlam as a non-con game. We got to do it every year. And if you remember when OU announced they're going to the SEC, there was a whole like back channel, like an over Oklahoma state's dead body. Are they going to play OU in the non-con? Like they're, yeah. they're not going to do it. Cause they're so upset. So I, I shot a couple text messages after the show today, just because that was such a popular answer. And I, that is largely still the case. There's still <laughs> a lot of animosity uh, at this moment about the possibility of playing Bedlam as a non-con game. So we'll see if that works itself out. You know, time heals all wounds. And at the end of the day, whenever you get to cash a big check, you cash a big check. You know what I mean? So we'll see. Uh, but some of the other stuff is like teams who Oklahoma hasn't played, like mm-hmm. Penn State. Like they haven't played Penn State in a really long time. They've never played Michigan State ever. Uh, Notre Dame is a popular team that people like. Uh, you know, uh, Notre Dame's a team that, you know, a lot of people said they should play every four years um, and just kind of on a rotation, home and home schedule. Uh, it was a lot of Big Ten teams, which I find interesting that people kind of gravitated towards I want to play Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State. Uh, you know, I want to go up against Michigan State, who they've never played. There was a lot of pull that direction and not a lot of ACC teams. Um, and frankly, no teams in the Northwest at all. Uh, like nobody wanted Oregon. I didn't, we didn't have a lot of that. We had a couple of those this afternoon, but mostly just making, you know, onside kick jokes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the USC thing, which if Oklahoma called USC tomorrow and said, hey, we've got this Alabama game in 2031 or whatever year it is, and we're not going to be able to play it. Would you want to be on our non-conference schedule over USC's dead body? Are they answering that phone? So I'd say that's a little bit of a pipe dream, but it was mostly like keeping some big 12 rivalries alive. Um, I think that'll fade, right? Like that just, that feels good now, but will anybody want to play Baylor in 2030? You know, David Randa might not be there anymore. Who knows what that program looks like? Uh, The Oklahoma state thing, but 
tons of Big Ten teams, which I which I was re- I didn't know if that was like an accidental trend or if that was like maybe like the back of OU's head going like we really like the way the Big Ten plays football. Yeah, well, I think some of it might be just the connection to the Big Eight. You know, like sure. Nebraska's in the Big Ten, and so maybe it just feels like a uh, like a almost like a brotherhood or a, you know, clo- they're cousins to Oklahoma mm-hmm. football almost. Cause that was a lot of what Oklahoma football was about is that you run the football, you play tough defense and that's, that's Oklahoma football. And that's a lot of what the big 10 is. And, and it's, I think you look back in, you know, the seventies, you know, 60, seventies, eighties, it's a lot of big 10 powers, you know, that were a predominant things that people watched, you know, whether it was the big 10 in the Rose bowl or, you know, big non-conference matchups. I think, you know, I, I can think back to the nineties, like living in California, Michigan was huge. Like Michigan, yeah. a popular team to watch a lot, you know, because of Desmond Howard and then Charles Woodson, like they were really, really a fun team to watch. And so maybe it's just like my generation thinks really like fondly of Michigan, just from those times going yeah. to the Rose Bowl. I think one that would be really, really interesting is, is Colorado. Like this is a team that we haven't yeah. in a decade, you know, we got Nebraska, we're going to play Texas A&M and Missouri in the SEC why not bring back a Colorado matchup? Like that would be a really fun kind of reuniting of old big 12 foes. Do you know what's like a really, a, a one that I was not prepared for, but was really popular. Two teams in the big 10. We got a bunch of Wisconsin and Iowa. Okay. And I think that, I think that is a hundred percent people being like, I love the way Wisconsin plays football. And I just, I want to see OU play against that team. Right. And I love the way Iowa plays football. And I want, but like tons of Iowa and Wisconsin love. And I think that's because it's like the perfect middle ground of like a team I really respect with a big name, but I also think oh you would beat them like nine times out of ten. Right, and like I think I think that's what it is. It's like oh you fans trying to to thread the needle there, but yeah. lots of Wisconsin Badger love. It's like the excitement of playing Tennessee. Like yes, it's a perfect level. Like Tennessee's, you know, it's a good name. They they've been something at some point in time, but you know they're not quite good enough to worry about early in the season. Right to uh, knock you off of your national championship run. So I think that's really, I think it's fun. I think it's really fascinating. Another team just from, you know, my own perspective, my grandfather was a Virginia tech alum, you know, back when they oh, let's go to Blacksburg, man. Yeah, Put me was, on a plane. I would be right. there to heartbeat. I mean, who would, who wouldn't love to be there for inner Sandman? Like that would yeah. be such a fantastic atmosphere against a team. And there's a bit of a connection, you know, Shane Beamer, a beloved coach. His father is a legend there in Blacksburg and, just kind of fun. I don't know. I, I I would love to see Oklahoma play Virginia Tech and and uh, get to see the the Hokies on a on a Saturday night in Blacksburg. That'd be kind yeah. of fun. I do actually. So I think some of these teams are frankly a little bit of a pipe dream. Yeah. I, I I wish I've always talked about this. Like I wish I could find Joe Castiglione's favorite drink, get into a cigar lounge with him, and just pump him full of them one night and get some honesty. Yeah. Uh, once he makes the jump to the SEC, like they're scheduling Alabama and Georgia and LSU and, and Ohio state for a reason, right? It's because they play in the big 12 and like that's held against them a lot. And a majority of their schedule just frankly, isn't very interesting. And isn't going to be on national television. And isn't going to get the congratulations. You beat Kansas state, which they struggled with here recently, but you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. not flashy schedule. So they're, they're trying to make up for that a little bit. In the non-con once they make the jump to the sec, a lot of those SEC teams go cupcake, right? Like yeah. Alabama has here recently, which credit to them, has been doing the Florida State, has been doing the Miami, which, you know, isn't exactly like the hardest game they ever got. But they've been doing a little bit more. I'm wondering if OU does that or do they go back to like the, let's play the Citadel. We're going to play McNeese States. We'll uh, finish it up with Rutgers and we'll call it a non-con, you know? Yeah. I, I, I wonder what the actual school policy, or not policy, but strategy is going to be because 
playing LSU and Texas A&M and Missouri is a whole lot harder than playing TCU and Tech and Baylor. And I think that's one of the intriguing aspects of the potential college football playoff expansion discussion is if teams get kind of like not just one loss, but maybe two losses and they can still make a playoff. Like I think teams are going to be more aggressive in scheduling interesting non-conference games. One, because there's better paydays. Like you get a better payday from playing a Miami down there in South Florida versus playing the Citadel or playing Tulane or Tulsa. Sure. No disrespect to Tulsa, but you know, no, Golden Hurricane fan are going to yeah. come after you, man. Be careful. Hey, please, please come after you. Sure of them are going to yeah, make sure you leave a lot of comments on the YouTube site. <laughs> um, so I think that's I think that's one of the fascinating aspects of it is that if you expand the playoff, you give people a little bit more leeway, you're going to see more interesting matchups. And I, and I think that's why so many people are so excited about the SEC move is like all these dream matchups are now going to be a regular thing for sure. the Oklahoma Sooners. I mean, they've got the non-conference stuff set up for the next year, but it's like you're going to have stretches where you play Alabama, Florida, Texas, Ole Miss. Like you're going to have these runs where it's like every single week is a very interesting game for the Oklahoma Sooners. And and really that's what college football should be as opposed to playing these games where you're paying the team to come to you so that you can have a game. Like play something that makes sense and is going to have something that moves the needle, not just for a regional fan base, but across the country. Yeah. I yeah, I don't know, man. I, I always wrestle back and forth with what what the uh, what the right move is there because frankly, these teams they've been left to their. It's my biggest complaint about college football, to be honest. I, I I probably hammer it too much on the radio, but we let these athletic directors and schools pick their own schedule, and generally they do a crappy job. <laughs> they they do, they don't do themselves any favors. They don't do the fan base any favor. Like, hey, come pay a full price ticket to go watch Tulane. No knock on Tulane, right? But like, is that like a game that OU fans were like, oh man, I can't believe I get to go watch Tulane play. Right. Of course not. And, uh, you know, so I I think left to their own fruition, I, I think they're going to default back to a little bit of the middle of the road, maybe lesser tier, easy wins. Because to your point, the big payday is, A, the regional network that they're going to get $100 million a year no matter what, just for being in the SEC, right? Like that's the big payday. The second big day, payday is the postseason, like you said. And the strength of schedule thing I think sounds really great to us fans. But when you say like, hey, you could have two losses and still make it. Well, holy crap. Like if I if I schedule three easy games in the non-con, like my my margin for error is so wide once I get to conference play that we always think that like, hey, they're going to worry about strength of schedule. No, 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 no. If you tell them that the window is wider, they're going to make it as easy as possible because they don't even need to win once they get in the college football play. But if they get one of those games, that's a big payday for the athletic department, right? If they get two of them. It's a big payday for the athletic department. So getting there is so much more important than making sure they get there ready to compete, which is something that fans talk about. But just bluntly, I don't know if athletic departments are in there when they're looking at their their financial books going, well, are we more worried about making sure that we can keep the tennis program open and build them a new facility? Or are we worried about making sure our secondary has seen some speed? You know, like yeah. I, I just I I think that's kind of the dirty truth about scheduling is that very rarely are the athletic departments out there being aggressive. Most of them default to assured wins margin for error as wide as possible because we want that paycheck at the end of the season. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense because yeah, you don't want to, uh, you know, go through a, a non-conference schedule with a loss and then have, you know, two more in your conference schedule, right. which I mean, the sec is going to be a gauntlet for every single team and Oklahoma included when they get there. And so, yeah, you're, you're going to want kind of as little 
error. Well, that on is little resistance, man. Yeah. That is that is the name of the game in college football. Yeah, and I mean, we're going to get a bit of a, an example of it this year with you know UTEP and Kent State and Nebraska <laughs> in the non-conference schedule. I, hey, I got the joy of covering Missouri State in person. Like, I don't watch UFC. UFC's not my thing. Like, mm-hmm. if it's your thing, no problem. But it's just not my thing. Like, watching one guy beat up another guy until he bleeds on the mat. It just isn't for me. Like, I, you know, that's what that was like. Like, yeah. I was at that game, and I felt uncomfortable. I was like, these guys don't need to be out here. They were only playing one game in the fall. Like, they just, like, had practiced for a couple weeks, and then came into Norman and played OU. Right. And a year, they were trying to win the national title. I was like, yeah. this is not cool. And, you know, it's a blood sport. So, I mean, it yeah. is what it is, but... Missouri State took their payday. Yeah, they, they took their payday. Hey, Chisholm, man, that was a lot of fun. It's it's great to uh, to talk schedules and talk non-conference stuff as well because, man, the future is going to look really, really, really interesting. And and I think as early as twenty twenty three, we might we might see a, an Oklahoma move to the SEC. I know they're still talking like it's further out than that, but it just seems like everything's kind of uh, slow up. play, it, man. Slow yeah. play. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. No, it's it's like uh, publicly, they're gonna. Oh, we're oh, not yeah, going yeah. anywhere. We're not going yeah. anywhere. Yeah, you right here. You yeah. don't tip your hand. No, you never. Keep negotiating never. behind closed doors. You don't tell them what you're planning on doing. So, yeah. All right. Make sure I'll follow Chisholm on Twitter at Chisholm Holland. Make sure you listen to him on 1077, the franchise in Oklahoma City. Then, and on the franchise app, wherever you are, I'm sure you can find that on, on your app store, Google Play Store, wherever that's at. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Sooners and on Facebook, Locked On Sooners Podcast. The show is free and available wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on YouTube. So for Chisholm, I'm John Williams. We'll check you next time. Boomer Sooner.